Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father, through our Son, Jesus, through His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. The Word of God that calls for our attention this morning comes to us from the epistle reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Or even after everything that Peter has just said, he says, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So far our text. St. Peter says that God's word is a lamp shining in a dark place. God's word as a lamp is only used in one other verse in the Bible. The well-known verse from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Both Peter and the psalmist seek to show you that God's word is to be a guiding light and a beacon for our lives. So what does it mean for God's word to be a lamp shining in a dark place? We live in a world of darkness. By nature, people love the darkness. They don't want the light to be shown on their deeds because they know that they are evil, at least on a most basic, primitive level, we know it, whether we want to admit it or not. But still, people shy away from the light. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face shone because he had been talking with God. It would also shine after he was inside the tent of meeting, again talking with God. He was forced to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not be blinded by the light of God's glory that was reflected in him. The Israelites could not bear to see that light, even though Moses was bringing the word that brought them life and light. God's great and precious gift was being freely given to them, but they were afraid to accept it. The light is scary to our sinful human natures. The light shows our need for a savior. We don't want to acknowledge that fact. We want to be self-sufficient. That's why every religion in the world seeks to placate God with their own deeds, even forms of Christianity. Just look at the messages given by the big mega churches around the country and around the world. You can go back to the Reformation and see the same thing. Article 4 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession goes on and on in great detail for pages and pages and pages about how the medieval church had brought in works righteousness, had hidden all faith in Christ, and said, no, if you want to be right with God, you have to do these things. No saving faith in Christ and their teachings. No light. Only the doubt and shadows created by uncertain works. But God's word still shines forth with the, with the light of his revelation, even from the very beginning. Open your Bible to Genesis. The creation account shows that everything we have in this world 
is only given to us by God's good and gracious will. That he would send a Savior to redeem us after we wrecked his creation. That this Savior would be God in the flesh. That he would dwell among his people. That he would be Emmanuel, God with us. That he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and will return to judge the living and the dead. This light terrifies us because it shows how lacking we are, how sinful we are, how we cannot save ourselves. But this very same light also provides the faith to believe that Jesus is our Savior, who has redeemed us, who will bring us to be with him when he returns. This faith in Christ allows us to say in this morning's introit, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Only through faith in the one whose light shines through his word can we even consider even being at the doorstep of God's house. Only a person of faith like Moses or Elijah or Peter would dare even want to have that lowly of a position. But you have that same faith. You are that same person of faith because Jesus' light has shined on you through his word in your baptism, just as it had shown on Peter and James and John and Moses and Elijah. And God's word will shine this faithful light until the day dawns and the morning star rises. Through faith, we look forward to that day's dawning. Through faith, we await Jesus, the bright morning star, to rise. And when he rises, then the light will have free course throughout the world. There will be no more darkness. This is why Jesus commands Peter, James, and John, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. The full light of his divine majesty is not ready for the world yet. And definitely the world was not ready for it. There was still some darkness that sought to veil Jesus' glory. The darkness of the cross. The darkness of sin being punished. The darkness of man being laid open for all to see. The light of Jesus' transfiguration was given for a source of hope. Jesus knew the disciples would scatter when he was delivered over to the hands of sinful men in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew they would be disheartened and discouraged by what would happen on Good Friday and even Easter morning. He knew they needed some sense of hope in order for their faith to remain strong. So we give Peter, James, and John this glimpse of his divine majesty. They were to be the source of light in the darkness. They were to be proclaimers of his glory and majesty. They were to proclaim his victory after he rose from the dead. God's word shined the light into their hearts and souls so that they would be able to shine that same light into the hearts of their brothers. They just had to know what they had seen and why they had seen it. St. Peter will say many years later 
in his epistle that God's word is something to which you will do well to pay attention. He needed to hear that for himself from the Father's own voice. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. On top of the Mount of Transfiguration, standing with Jesus, were five men who had momentary lapses in their attention to God's word. And they were all rebuked for their lapses. Moses, on top of Mount Sinai, requested to see God's glory. God showed him only his backside, because man shall not see me and live. Elijah stood on top of Mount Sinai and despaired that he was the only one left who was faithful to the Lord. And God revealed that he had kept 7,000 men who had not bowed the knee to Baal. Peter, on the Mount of Transfiguration, requested to build three tents so he could stay there. And the Father's voice boomed that Peter should listen to Jesus. James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy a Samaritan village because they wouldn't listen to them. Jesus rebuked them and simply went on to the next town. All these great men of faith, but their attention still lapsed for a moment. They got caught up in themselves and their circumstances. But God's word gives us something more sure to cling to than our circumstances. Circumstances are ever-changing and never certain. We cannot build a foundation on such shifting sand. We definitely need something more sure. And God's prophetic word is just that. Sure, certain, concrete. St. Peter reminds his readers that the apostles didn't follow cleverly devised myths when they proclaimed the gospel. They shone the very light that was given to them as eyewitnesses of his majesty on the Mount of Transfiguration. Everything that was given to them was given to them by the Holy Spirit as they listened to Jesus, as they remembered what he had taught them before and after his resurrection, becoming more and more enlightened as the Holy Spirit worked through God's word daily. You see, the apostles didn't make up the Jesus story. They didn't just take what was in the Old Testament scriptures and make up an interesting story to tie all the loose ends together. The Old Testament scriptures are God's prophetic word. God says what he means and means what he says. It all comes from him. And so they were also, like Moses, like Elijah, drawn to write down what the Spirit had given to them as well. And Peter will go on to say, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. When Moses and Elijah spoke, when Peter writes his epistle, when James and John and all the rest of the apostles write down and proclaim their message of faith to the world, that's not their thoughts. That's not their ideas. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit delivered the word for them to speak. The sure and certain word that brings light into this dark world. This light allows you to rejoice in his majesty. As the colic puts it, in the voice that came from the bright cloud, you wonderfully foreshowed our adoption by grace. 
You have been adopted by grace to become the father's child. A son or daughter who listens to Jesus, who believes what he says, who follows the light that shines in the darkness of this world. That's why the psalmist can say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. God's sure and certain prophetic word that tells us about Jesus and his majesty, promises him to us from the very beginning, reveals him to us as our Savior, and promises his return so that we might share in his glory. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.